Beautiful song. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's really nice to see you all tonight. And um, if I haven't met you, yes, my name is Bill, and that's not a typo there. I did graduate in 1979. Um, and I'm very eager to get to know those of you who might be new to PCF. Uh, we're all sorry. This is a difficult time for us to do that. Um, but uh, I look forward to that uh, nonetheless. Uh, we're continuing a series tonight, uh, a series of messages uh, from the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at uh, one of them each week. Last week, David spoke to us uh, about the first, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, and uh, tonight we turn to the second. Um, and I've asked uh, Nathan Gibson, uh, who's a grad student in the Department of Politics. Uh, some of you may know him as a preceptor, perhaps, and he's, he's going to read the scripture for us uh, tonight. Matthew 5, 3-10. through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bill, you're muted. Blessed are those, the text says, who mourn, uh, for they shall be comforted. Uh, that's a strange word, right? Um, it's it's probably not the best translation, but although some people do read it this way, if you substitute the word happy for blessed, uh, you get something here like happy are the unhappy. <laughs> uh, that doesn't make sense to us. Uh, what kind of paradox is that? So it raises the question, what exactly is Jesus saying? What does he want us to hear when he says blessed are those who mourn? What What does he want us to take away from this? Um, and I think that one way to translate this might be in place of blessed, if you think of this phrase, you are in a good place when you are mourning. Now, that might not make much more sense to you, but uh, because we tend to think that uh, sadness is bad, um, something to be avoided, and that we should be happy. Um, and all of us, any of us, might go to great lengths, right, to uh, make ourselves happy. Or if we've concluded, uh, we're already at your young age jaded, that it's impossible, at least you might uh, anesthetize yourself uh, from the pain of life, right? So we might turn to entertainment or food or drink or drugs, legal and illegal, or fitness or relationships or work or achievement. And these are not all bad things. I'm not saying that. But too often we pursue these things because we want to be happy. And we imagine that these things might make us happy. But this uh, doesn't really work for us a lot of the time, does it? Um, I mean, I don't know about you uh, and what some of the ways might be that you go about pursuing 
happiness. I have a friend uh, who was an engineer at Princeton and uh, she worked very hard in engineering and as a result uh, reached a point where she was honored. Um, uh, I don't know the, the specific of the honor, I can't remember it. Uh, uh, as, a, as a female engineer, she was honored. And this was something she had worked toward and when she finally received it, she was so unsatisfied by this. It didn't make her happy. And um, that actually became for her a turning point uh, toward Christian faith. Um, many people turn to Christian faith because they come to a place like that of, of maybe dis, uh, disappointment or deep disillusionment or a sense of futility where they realize that the pursuit of happiness may be some sort of a fool's game. And our culture, you know, is always telling us uh, how to be happy. But it seems that most people uh, are miserable uh, a lot of the time. And, and so maybe there is a better way. Um, and, and here is Jesus tonight saying to us something so completely out of step with our culture. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus says, you are in a good place if you are mourning. Now, why would he say that? Um, well, I think the first thing that we might say is, is that he might say that because usually when you are mourning, when you are grieving, it is because you are facing the hard reality that there is something deeply wrong wrong with the world, uh, wrong with other people, wrong with you. Things, in other words, are not the way they're supposed to be. There's something wrong. And Jesus says that it's a good thing to be in a place where you are faced with that hard reality. Uh, I think of the verse in uh, the Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 2, where it says, Another paradox, right? It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Better, in other words, to go to a funeral than to go to a party. What? <laughs> you know, why? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, because we learn something there at the funeral, we come face to face with something there, the hard realities that we're not likely to come face to face with at a party. And so the writer says this, here's one of those realities, death is the destiny of everyone and the living, that's you and me, should take this to heart. Jesus seems to be saying that you're in a good place when you are grieving because that likely means that you are seeing some aspect of the brokenness of the world very clearly. This is what God does when he looks at the world he grieves over the world, and we see this repeatedly in Scripture. Just two examples. God grieves when uh, we see this in the book of Genesis, when he saw how the good creation and, and the good humanity that he had created, that, that humanity was ruining uh, the creation, that people were, everyone was had turned away and was just doing whatever was right in their own eyes, and everything the intent of everyone's heart was evil all of the time. And God is, is grieved when he saw that. 
or jumping forward to Jesus, just one example from Jesus. Jesus is grieved when it says when he saw the crowds, people made in the image of God, people who were created and, and had bestowed upon them glory and honor as, as God's highest uh, beings in creation. Jesus sees these, these people, uh, rather than in glorious dominion over the earth, it says he saw they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, God sees the world and sees there's something deeply wrong. And so it's a good response when you and I see the world and when, when we're moved to tears by what we see. I mean, for me personally, when, when I think about the, the numbers in the millions of lives that have been lost because of abortion, that moves me with grief and, and to mourning. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Or, or when I think about the history and, and the legacy and the ongoing reality of racism in this country, I, I am moved by that to mourn and to grieve. This is not the way it's supposed to be. These things ought to grieve us. I love the Andrew Peterson song. Um, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Is all creation groaning? Yes, it is. And so we're in a good place when we come to see that there is something wrong. But you know, it's really easy for me, I don't know about you, but to think about the badness of the world as something out there, as something other people do or cause or contribute to. And I think Jesus would say to us, I think Jesus would say to me, well, you know, Bill, that's good. You're in a good place when you begin to see and grasp and grieve over, in some measure, the brokenness of the world. But that's not good enough. There's something else you need to see. You need to see yourself. Maybe you've heard the story of uh, the, the London Times, that they sent out a query to uh, famous authors asking this question, uh, what's wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton, the great English writer and philosopher and theologian, wrote back this very short reply. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. Sufjan Stevens, uh, some of you will recognize his name. He's an American folk singer. He has a written, uh, it's, it's one of his earlier songs, a devastating song about the notorious uh, serial killer, John Wayne Gacy Jr. And even as this song, uh, it's a remarkable song, as it re recounts the ugly horror of uh, John Wayne Gacy Jr.'s actions, the song also conveys an element uh, somehow of compassion for this man. But that's not the most remarkable thing uh, about the song. The most remarkable thing about the song comes at the very end, uh, at, at the end of a song that is recounting this man's wicked, unthinkable deeds. The singer then makes the stunning statement, and in my best behavior, I am really just like him. 
look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have here. And it seems to me that both Chesterton and Stevens are recognizing that it's not just other people who are the problem with the world. It's me. I am the problem with the world. And, and Jesus is saying to each one of us that this is a place that we need to come to. We see this over and over again in scripture. I mean, think of Isaiah, the prophet, when he was confronted with the glory of God and, and his own sinfulness, he cries out, woe is me, I am ruined. Or think about the apostle Peter, when he was confronted with his own act of treachery, uh, uh, betrayal of Jesus. And, and he, when he sees what he has done, the text says that he went out and he wept bitterly. Or Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, when confronted and faced with the ongoing reality of sin in his heart, he cries out in, in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Look, that's, th th I'm not saying this is a happy place to be. This is not a happy place to be. When we come to this place, it is never pleasant, but it is necessary. It's a necessary place for us all to come. And that's why Jesus says to us, blessed are those who mourn. It's a good and necessary place because until we arrive at this place and linger there, until we clearly see our own heart of darkness and, and are moved by it to sorrow and, and to contrition and to confession, until we get to that place, we are not ready to receive the promise of comfort that follows. Isaiah needed to say, woe is me. Peter needed to weep those bitter tears. Paul needed to say, wretched man that I am. And you and I need as James exhorts us in James chapter 3, we need to be wretched and mourn and weep. Not because that's a good place to end up. That's not an end in itself, not at all. But to come to that place of, of seeing our own guilt, of seeing my own complicity, of, of seeing the part that I have played and, and even now play in the brokenness of, this, of things in this world. And, and then in that place of lament and grief, then Jesus says, God is there in that place to speak to us words of comfort and of forgiveness and of hope. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And we must pass through the first, the, the first to get to the second, because the comfort, the only, the, the only true and lasting comfort is the comfort that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. And God wants each one of you to have that comfort tonight. Isaiah describes the, the Messiah as the one who would bind up the brokenhearted and, and the one who would comfort those who mourn. We understand that Jesus is that Messiah. Isaiah further tells us that Jesus, the Messiah, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and in becoming a human being in the incarnation, in taking on our flesh and blood, and, and then in suffering upon the cross, Jesus took upon himself your grief and your sorrow, my grief, my sorrow, that you and I might receive his comfort, the comfort of forgiveness, the, comf the comfort of God's grace and mercy and kindness and love. And so this promise, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not going to make all the sadness of the world go away, but it can do at least, I think, three things for us tonight. Number one, as, as I just said, it can point us to the assurance that however great, however many are the bad things that we have done, there is forgiveness of those things. There is comfort in Jesus Christ. Turn to him and find that comfort. And secondly, I think this promise can orient us in the right way to the brokenness of the world so that we, we can become people who do feel the weight of injustice and the weight of uh, human oppression and, and the weight of um, humans suffering and, and, and are moved by that and are grieved by that and are grieved by how people treat one another, but, but who also then are not people who grieve with no hope. We are also those who are then ready to move into the suffering of others and into the suffering of the world as those who have received comfort and, and are now moving into the world to bring comfort to others and to point others to the comfort that we found in Christ. And then thirdly, I think, this promise, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This gives us hope. It encourages us with hope that even though now, yes, we do see brokenness all around us, and we see the brokenness in us, but we also see Jesus, who has overcome the world, and who is saying to us tonight, friends, behold, I am making all things new. And so we are good, of good cheer. And, and we look forward to that day when God will, as he promised, wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus is telling us, friends, tonight, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a good place to come to. It's a hard place, but it's a good place to come through, to come to and through if it's a place that brings us to the comfort that's in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.